First Timothy chapter 5, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their household, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Let us pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. So help us now, O Lord, to have understanding. Give your light as we meditate on your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Pastor John MacArthur, who at 83 years old is still the primary preaching pastor at Grace Community Church in Sun Valley, California, where he has served as pastor longer than many of you have been alive since 1969. And I want you to listen this morning to what he wrote about the Bible just a a few years ago um, in his um, theology Um, his systematic theology book that came out a few years ago. He said there, in Scripture, the person of God and the Word of God are everywhere interrelated, so much so that whatever is true about the character of God is true about the nature of God's Word. The person of God and the Word of God are everywhere interrelated. The Bible is primarily revealing to us who God is. And Scripture reveals to us over and over again that God cares for widows, especially those who, as Paul says three times uh, in our passage, are truly widows. He says that in verse 3, verse 5, and verse 16. That is, those widows who are the most vulnerable, who have no one else to provide for them those who look to God to provide for their needs. Throughout the Old Testament, we find this common description of God that he is a protector of widows and that he watches over and upholds the widow. In the book of Deuteronomy, God sets several laws for the Israelites to follow in the promised land. 
in order for them to make sure to provide for widows in their need, and he warns them against taking advantage of widows. For he says he will indeed execute justice for the widow. He will be their defender. The Bible gives some great examples of of widows who have strong faith in the Lord, who, who believe his promises, who take shelter under his wings of protection. Widows like Ruth and Naomi, Anna, the prophetess in in Luke chapter 2, and the widow whom Jesus praised for giving her two small copper coins into the temple treasury, saying that she gave way more than all the wealthy who were bringing their gold into the temple. So we would do well to learn from these widows and pay attention to them in the scriptures. And I know that the book of James is a favorite one for many of you. Uh, We read through it a couple of months ago each week in our worship services and also some of our ladies have been going through uh, James in their Bible study. So you're probably familiar with what James tells us uh, about true religion uh, or genuine Christianity um, in chapter 1 of James, verse 27. He says there, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So Paul's concern in 1 Timothy is very similar to James's concern in his letter. We've seen, as, as we've made our way through this letter week by week, that the Apostle Paul uh, was very concerned about godliness in the church, about how the church was living out their faith. He says in uh, verse uh, uh, 15 of chapter 3, uh, which I think is a real, real central and key verse of the whole letter, so verse 315, uh, he wrote, so that... Um, so that uh, we ought to, how, how one, so that if you, if I delay, says you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So he is writing his letter in order that, or so that the church would know how to behave, the church would know how to live as the household of God. The church is the household of God, and so. Paul has a word here for how the household of God is to care for those who are in need, particularly widows. But he also has a word here for the widows as well, and how they are to behave in the household of God. So this is our passage this morning. Uh, The main theme being the members of the household of God are to care practically and wisely for one another. Members of the household of God are to care practically and wisely for one another. So in this section, I want you to notice how the Apostle Paul is giving uh, directives to Timothy and the church on how to relate and care for others within the church. He begins, verse 1, with that command, do not, there. And then verse 3, with another command, honor widows who are truly widows. Then verse 7, he gets even more direct, command these things, he says. So let's just remind ourselves that, that, to, that to live 
uh, lives of godliness, it is first and foremost means that we are to realize we are all living before the face of God. That, that he sees, that he knows how we are living, what we are doing, the decisions that we are making, and in particular, uh, how we are representing him as his people in the church. What are we saying about him with how we treat one another? God has a special concern here for widows, and so how we care for them within our families and within the church matters a great deal to God. So I've organized uh, this passage then under three headings which follow the directives that we are given here. First, verses 1 and 2, we are to consider church members as family. We are to consider church members as family. Then secondly, we are to care for the members of our household. That's verses 3 through 8. And then verse 16 uh, reemphasizes that again. And thirdly, we are to live for others and not ourselves. We're to live for others and not ourselves, verses 5 and 6, and then verses 9 through 15. So first, let's look at verses 1 and 2. We are to consider church members as family. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. So remember back to chapter 4, verse 12. Paul revealed to us that Timothy was a young pastor serving this church in Ephesus. He was most likely younger than many of the members of the congregation, which is often the case for pastors, especially uh, as they begin their ministry. Uh, it, can, it can be a problem because older members may not listen to younger pastors too well. They may not take them seriously since they are lacking in experience and the wisdom that experience brings. So, pa- so parents uh, have a hard time listening to their children when their children uh, become adults and try to counsel them on, on certain things. Uh, I've seen that with both uh, my and my wife's parents. Um, you know, we try to counsel them on, on different things, on things that they should be doing or uh, decisions that they, they, they should be making, and they usually don't, you know, thanks for sharing, but you know, we'll do what we want to do. Thank you very much. Um, so so Paul, Paul counsels Timothy here to make sure then to set a good example for godliness for the congregation. If he lives out a life of godliness before his church, they will more likely respect and even listen to him. But now in these verses, Paul is continuing with that advice and counseling Timothy on how he must think of each congregation member and then how how to shepherd them, how to speak to them. So let's, let's listen again to what he says. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him or exhort him as you would a father. And then he carries that, that verb on to the rest of the church as well. Encourage younger men as brothers. Encourage older women as mothers. Encourage or exhort younger women as sisters. And then he adds for sisters in all purity. So as every pastor must do, Timothy is to preach and to teach the members of his congregation and exhort them to turn away from sin, turn away from the wicked ways of the world, and to follow Christ's commands. 
But as he does this, especially as a younger pastor, he is to counsel and pastor his people with respect and honor, not harshly and rudely. He is to think of the members of his congregation like they are members of his own family. He is to treat them with the respect that they deserve. Older men as fathers, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters. And that says something very strong about how we are to relate to one another in the church. The Lord Jesus, on the night before he laid down his life for us on the cross, taught his disciples the key way in which the church is to relate to one another. He said, love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's in John 13, 34, and 35. So it's interesting, isn't it, that, that we don't have to be taught that we're supposed to love one another in our own families. I mean, sons don't need to be taught that they are to love their fathers and mothers. Siblings don't need to be taught that they are supposed to love uh, each other. Brothers and sisters may not like each other sometimes, but they know, they instinctively know, they are to love one another. They are to watch out for one another. They are to help each other out when, when they need it. But we need to be taught to love one another within the church. For we all come from different homes, different families, different backgrounds, different ways of life, different states even. And we are called to love one another within this family, within this gathering. So it helps to do that. We, we must think of each other then as family, as belonging to this same household, this household of God. We are to think of our weekly gatherings then as not just you know, going to church. We are to not just come here to, 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 to check off one of our weekly duties, you know, um, to get, get this thing done, something that we're obligated to, to accomplish for the week. No, we are to, to think of it as a family gathering. You are coming to see how your family is doing, to spend time with, with your fathers, with, with your mothers, with your brothers and your sisters who may not share the same blood as you and, and, and genealogical ancestry, but who share the same salvation, the same Lord, the same mission. We are all one in spirit. We are not rivals. We are not just individuals who are only in this for ourselves. We are a family. The church is not like the world. In the church, we belong to each other. We have a right, then, to speak into each other's lives. Like a mother or a father has a right to address the behavior of their children within the church. The mothers and fathers have the right to address younger believers if they have a concern about how we are rep representing Christ. In the same way, for members who are of a similar age, we have the right to talk to one another as a brother or a sister would do. Why? Because we love each other, because we care about each other, because we are family. When you join a church, you join a family. 
and you give that right to the rest of the members to speak into your lives, to, to help to hold you accountable to your Lord and your Savior, to, to help to keep you from drifting off into sin. So this is the Apostle's word to the church. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all or in absolute purity. For young Christians who are wondering how to relate to the opposite sex, verse 2 gives you some very helpful counsel. Young men, think of the other Christian uh, young women as sisters. That is, protect their purity, protect their reputations, honor them. If you are attracted to a member of the opposite sex romantically, then continue to treat them as you would a sister or a brother until you commit yourselves to them in marriage. Encourage them and relate with them in absolute purity. And young women, if the guy you are dating is is not treating you like a Christian sister that is in absolute purity, then you need to break it off and end that relationship. That guy is not who you should be with. In dating relationships, Christian men and women are to help each other to grow in their relationship with the Lord, not draw them away from the Lord into sin. So heed Paul's word here. Secondly, we are to care for the members of our household. Verses 3 through 8 and then verse 16. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day, but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Then jump down to 16. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Remember now in in this letter, Paul is mainly concerned about the church, which he calls the household of God. Uh, We have already seen in 1 Timothy that there is a direct connection between the household of God and the homes or the households of each member of the church. Uh, Back in chapter 3, when Paul was listing out the qualifications for elders, Paul made the point there that before anyone can be considered as an elder in the church, he must first show uh, that he has managed his own household well. So there's a direct connection between the home and the church. You must live out your Christian life faithfully at home if you are ever to be considered as someone who would be a faithful example um, of a believer within the church. One's Christianity is, is first of all to be lived out within the home among one's own family. That is a place where you really show if you are converted. So Paul carries on with that theme here in chapter 5. He has a great concern for widows, but he also wants to make sure that the believers within the church are living out their faith in their own homes first. 
For Christians, their first responsibility is to love and care for the members of their own household. When Christ calls us to love one another, that's where it starts. That's the people that we are called to love first. And the church is to encourage its members to care for their own family members, especially their mothers and grandmothers who are widowed. And notice that it's not just because it is what is expected by the culture or by the society. It's directly actually related to their relationship with God. Look at verse 4. If a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. So why must a Christian family make sure they are caring for their mother or grandmother or their great-grandmother who has been widowed? Because God cares about them. God is concerned that they are taken care of. And he will hold their families responsible to make sure they are cared for. He has provided these widows with sons, daughters, grandsons, granddaughters, in part to meet their needs, to care for them when they are in need. Now, don't be confused. Paul is not saying that a woman who has lost her husband but has grandchildren and grandchildren to care for them, or not, is not actually a widow. She, she is, but, but she's not a widow who is in need of the church to provide for her because the Lord has already provided for her through her own family. And the church must give them the opportunity. The church must encourage them to serve her in this way so that they both might receive a blessing from the Lord. Christians are to care for the members of their own households. Verse 8 goes on to reinforce this command uh, by saying again, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So we show whether or not we are truly believers by how we love our own families at home. The home is the proving ground for the believer. Parents will show their children whether or not they really believe the gospel by how they live out their faith at home. Our kids know if what we confess that we believe in church on Sunday is really what we believe in our day-to-day lives. They see that. They know that. So one clear way that we show our faith is if we are making sure to provide for our family members in the home. Again, Paul has already told us Who bears the greatest responsibility here? It is the husbands and fathers, those who would be considered to to, to serve as elders uh, of the church. They're the ones called to provide for their families, to sacrifice, to put the needs of their wives, children, and widowed mothers and grandmothers ahead of their own personal needs. This can also be clear evidence of a conversion of a man who has crossed over from from death to life and from darkness to light when he begins to truly love and live for others instead of himself. Last year I gave a a biographical message on the life of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, pastor uh, for many years in in England who began his ministry in the very uh, blue-collar working town of Aberavon, in Wales, uh, this was a town that seemed to be suffering from great poverty. Uh, malnourished children with barely anything to eat, uh, who wore rags that had been constantly patched up and tailored by their mothers in order to keep 
uh, them using the same clothes uh, were all around uh, the community and uh, noticed and seen. Uh, but there are also a lot of bars, um, a, lot of, a lot of pubs in the community as well. And when Lloyd-Jones began to preach the gospel, and more and more of these men were, were coming to hear him preach the gospel, the surest sign that they were getting converted was when their children noticed that they were getting much more food on their plates each night. Because for the first time in their lives, their father was bringing home his whole paycheck rather than spending most of it on drinking in the pubs. And then others in the town and in the church noticed how the children were getting happier and healthier, wearing newer clothes, clothes that actually fit them. For these men were coming to know Christ and began to live out their faith in their own homes, providing for their families rather than spending it all on themselves in the bars. The gospel does make a real difference in the lives of those who believe, and the place where it is seen most clearly is in the home. Third, we are to live for others and not ourselves. Live for others and not for ourselves. Uh, looking at verses 5 and 6, and then verses 9 through 15. Uh, now, uh, you might ask, what about the widows who don't have families to care for them? You know, who, who don't have children or whose children are either not able to refuse or, or, or who refuse to care for them. Uh, there are many places in the world, uh, as was the case back when Paul wrote this, um, you know, in the communities that he was bringing the gospel to, where families w w will outright reject or cast out family members who come to believe and follow Christ. That happens in Muslim families in certain places of the world and, and Hindu families, particularly in India, uh, where the caste system is, is so ingrained in their families and, and households. It happens in China, where citizens fear their own government's restrictive laws about Christianity, that they may deny care to family members who confess to following Christ. Uh, any widows within the church who are truly in need, who do not have family, who will care for them, are whom Paul here refers to as truly widows, that is, widows who are truly in need. So God calls the church then, the household of God, to care for the members of their household, care for these widows who are truly in need. But there is a distinction made between widows who may be truly in need. Some of it has to do with age. Paul warns against the church supporting uh, younger widows because it, it might remove their motivation for taking responsibility for themselves and, and, and may lead to temptation to sin, then, uh, the church is then to use discernment on whom it seeks to help with its financial resources. The church can never help everyone who is in need or everyone who thinks that they are in need. So that's why Paul gives some instructions here, some guidance here, uh, on whom the church is to care for regarding widows who aren't being cared for by their families. Look back at verses 5 and 6 again. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. So in verse 5, Paul is describing the widow who is truly a widow. These are the ones the church is to honor. These are the ones the church 
must provide for, for they are the ones who set their hope on God. They trust that God is their Father. They believe what Jesus taught them about how God the Father is good and will give good gifts to his children when they ask for them. These are widows who trust and follow what their Lord Jesus taught them in Matthew 6, 25 through 34. To do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. For your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And so what do you do if you depend upon the Lord for your life, for your well-being, for what you will eat and for what you will wear? Will you continue in supplications and prayers night and day, as verse 5 says here? Now, this does not mean that, that these widows spend every waking moment of their lives praying to God. What it means is that they pray in the day, that they pray in the night, that they don't give up praying. It is a regular practice for them. They look to God for everything. And the church, that is the household of God, is the means that God will use to provide for them. They are the hands and feet of Jesus to, to provide, to, to care for, to supply what they are, are needing. They not only pray for themselves, though, they, and, and for their own needs, but this indicates that they pray for others as well. They're making supplications. You remember what Paul called for uh, back in chapter 2, verse 1 of 1 Timothy. He said there, first of all, then I urge that supplications, same word, uh, prayers, uh, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. And this is what godly widows do. They pray for all kinds of people. They make supplications for those within the church, those outside of the church, all different kinds of people. When I was very young, uh, my mom would, would bring me over to the home of one of these godly widows that are described here in this passage, one of these godly widows in my home church, uh, Josephine Forstrom, everyone called her Joe. Mom would, would do a few things for her in, her, in around the house that uh, she, she needed done, and then they would sit down together and talk and, and, uh, and pray, and, and, and Joe would, would watch me follow my mom around the house or pray with whatever toy uh, I had brought with me that day to play with. Uh, Joe even had a few, you know, older toys um, that uh, her grandkids used to play with when they were younger, and I'd, I'd play with them sometimes. Uh, after college, when I first began to serve in a church as a, a youth minister, um, my mom informed me that one of the things that Joe would often tell her was that she was praying that I would become a pastor. And she was pretty confident that it was going to happen. And so in the final year of Joe's life, just after I began serving that church in Des Moines as a youth minister, my mom was able to go to see Joe in the nursing home and tell Joe that her prayers have been answered indeed. So these godly widows are further described here in verses 9 and 10. Let's look at those verses. Uh, Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband. Uh, that is, she's one who's been faithful to her husband. Um, and having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, 
has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. So what we are to realize here is, is, is that what Paul is describing are simply widows who are living out the Christian life faithfully. They're hoping in God. Uh, they're, they're known as prayer warriors. Uh, they, they've, they've been known as being faithful to their husbands. Uh, they're, they're known for, for doing good for others. They, they've cared selflessly for others. They are, there are descriptions here. Uh, of, these are descriptions of godliness that Paul has been emphasizing throughout the letter. The widows who live out their faith in the Lord in these ways are worthy of honor and are the ones whom the church must be sure to look after if they are truly in need. Uh, but these widows are in stark contrast to the others who are self-focused rather than looking to God and looking to, to serve and care for others. They are those who Paul describes as self-indulgent in verse 6. They are those whose passions, it says in verse 11, uh, draw them away from Christ. They desire to marry and so incur in condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. So if the church were to provide for younger widows who are self-focused, it will lead to trouble, Paul says. Uh, in verses 11 and 12, Paul says they will refuse to depend upon the Lord and instead uh, go against his word and, and seek someone to marry who is an unbeliever, who's outside of the faith. By this, they will show that they, that they don't trust the Lord because they go directly against his word in doing this. And rather, as it says in verse 14, they must trust the Lord and marry, that is, marry a believer, uh, bear children, and manage their household. So marry a man who knows the Lord and then put the needs of their new household and their kids who usually come into that relationship ahead of their own desires. Then as verse 15 says, when we turn away from God's word, when we pursue our own self-interests, when we are self-indulgent, going after these, these worldly things, well, we will stray after Satan. We turn away from God's word, we turn away from trusting in him and hoping in him, we will then stray after Satan. We will be spiritually dead even while we live. So brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers here in the church, what God's word has reminded us of this morning is that Jesus Christ did not just save us so that we personally could have our sins forgiven. We personally could enjoy eternal life and have peace with God. His purpose was also to create a new community, to create a family, to create a household where we care for one another and provide for those among us who are truly in need. And then seek to live for the good of each other and not just for ourselves. That kind of household can only be created if we are trusting in him, for trusting Christ. 
if we're depending upon him for our righteousness and upon his spirit for his fruit to be born in us, for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control to be evident in our households, we must turn away from depending upon our own strength and our own righteousness and trust in Christ alone to do that work in us, to do that work through his spirit, to look to him and not ourselves. So have you set your hope on God for that transforming work to be done in your life? Are you praying for God to continue to to transform you within this household, within this church, for that work to be done, not only in your life, but in the the lives of your brothers and sisters and your mothers and fathers here in Christ? Let us follow the example of the widows that Paul describes here. For blessed is the one whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we do come before you with um, just a burden on our, on our hearts. We, we want to be transformed. We want to live lives that are godly, that are righteous, that are true and pure. We want to love and care for the needs of others. So, Father, we ask you for help to do that transforming work in our hearts, that the fruit of the Spirit would be evident in each of our lives as well as evident throughout this church family. We pray that those who are in need within this body would be cared for, would know that they are loved by you because they're loved by each of us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.